Well, go ahead and open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 18. If you don't have a Bible with you today, you can grab one of the ones on the back table. If you don't have one at all, consider that as our gift to you. I um, also want to draw your attention as we continue in our journey through uh, the book of Exodus. We have several resources at our, our bookstall in the back. This one here is Exodus for You. Um, it is a it's not even a commentary, but it is a, a somewhat of a commentary, an easy way to help kind of walk through Exodus as we're going through it together. So it's a very reader-friendly, um, entry-level uh, journey into the book of Exodus. So uh, it's available out there, um, as is this um, Exodus uh, good book study guide. If you're looking to kind of go a little bit more in-depth, kind of walk through, it even has answers in the back to a lot of the study questions. Um, good book company puts out an excellent product uh, there. Um, we have that available as well as this scripture journal that you can kind of write down any questions that you have as you're going through uh, the book of Exodus on your own uh, time. Um, again, all of, everything available in that resource is, is donation only. Um, so we want those to bless you and help you in uh, your walk with the Lord. Now, I guess it's been uh, a few weeks ago now. But I was over at Starbucks, um, and I think it was like a Thursday afternoon, and I was doing a little studying and reading. Um, not sure what I was uh, reading specifically at that moment. doesn't really matter. But God kind of sat down uh, next to me. We began to kind of have a little bit of a conversation, kind of small talk mainly. But in the back and forth, he, he asked me what I did for a living. I proceeded to tell him that I was or am a, a local pastor. And he kind of paused and kind of gave me a, kind of a look and a response where it was kind of like, you know, wasn't really what he was expecting me to, to respond with. And he kind of just wrote back and like, so is that it? And, <laughs> and, I, and I used to take offense to it. I, I can't say that I was really pleased by his answer in the, in the moment either. Um, but I used to respond a whole lot differently uh, because it, it implies the idea that a pastor only works on Sunday. And I wasn't going to go into this whole moment of trying to defend myself before him. Um, and so I gave kind of one of those half-hearted laughs. and was like, yes, it is. I am very blessed to be able to, to pastor a local church uh, that, I, that I love very dearly uh, full-time. And the kind of conversation had a few more things here and there, and then it kind of trickled down and ended. Now, honestly, in my response, I also, uh, I was trying to give him the benefit of the doubt, though I, I knew where his response was coming from. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, you know, maybe he was familiar with bivocational ministry. Maybe he was familiar with it. Some pastors do have to work multiple jobs in order to, to make in, ends meet. Um, but even then, for those gentlemen, those men who, who do that, um, let's be real. There, there is no such thing as a part-time pastor. Um, and I, and I, I paused there. Let me actually rephrase that. There, there's, there's no such thing as a faithful part-time pastor. Because there are some men, and, um, because I add faithful there, because there are some men who, uh, who are just going through the motions. They're just checking off the box, but not the faithful ones. Not, not the faithful ones. There, there's never a time when a faithful pastor clocks out for the day. Mind never turns off, brain never turns off, heart never stops thinking about and, and going towards the people that the Lord has, has given him to, to shepherd and to look over. The responsibilities of a pastor will take as much time as he is willing and able to give. 
There is always another service to plan, another sermon to prepare, classes to teach, counseling sessions to schedule, emails to write, new people to meet, questions to to answer, conflicts to resolve, uh, books to read, leaders to train, ministries to oversee, trips to plan, text messages to to send and respond to, dinners to have and and people to pray for, the list could go on. There's never a time where a faithful pastor says, you know, I just don't have anything to do today. There's, there's never a moment in time where that happens. And the larger the church gets, the more responsibility that, that comes. Now, it can seem very self-serving for me to get up here and, and say something like that on a Sunday morning. And I don't want it to sound in any way self-serving and I don't want it to sound in any way like com- complaining because it's not. I absolutely love what I do. Love what I do. And what makes it even more enjoyable for me is that I get to to do it with the group of pastors that I serve with and and to do it with Harvest Point being the church that the Lord has called me to, to be a shepherd of. I absolutely love this church. It it pains me to see families leave. (laughs) Love this body. And we're coming up now on three years here. <laughs> and church, we're just getting started. We're looking around at the, what God is doing and, and the people that he's bringing. And man, I look out and I see story after story in the faces of this congregation. And I just want to tell you just honestly this morning, I love you. Love you. And I can speak for the other elders this morning. We love you all. From the bottom of our heart, we love you. But I bring all this up this morning because the point of today's text is the importance of shared ministry. So what we're going to look at today is God's design for leadership and ministry within the local church, which comes at a really odd time in this journey in the Exodus, or so it appears. And we're going to see why it comes that way in just a few moments. But for some of you, you may be wandered in here today and being like, this is what I rolled out of bed for today? Like, like leadership and ministry within the local church. And yeah, we just walk through the text and whatever comes next, this is what we handle. And you know, it's a vitally important topic for the health of a local church. And it's a vitally important topic for our personal walk with the Lord as well. And to see how, let's pick up in verse 13, where Moses and the Israelites are in the wilderness and on their way to Mount Sinai. This is the day after Jethro, his father-in-law, has come to faith in the Lord. So Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they, they come to me and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out. For the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God. 
And you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe. And place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you that they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all the people will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. So this is the day after Jethro has come to faith. Like literally, like the very next day after Jethro, a former pagan priest has come to faith. And Moses goes and gets back in his routine and he, he's sitting down to judge the people, which means Moses is providing counsel to the people. He's settling disputes among the people, all the people who are coming before him. And he was doing this from like morning until night. He was doing it all day long. As he says, the text tells us the people are standing around Moses from morning until evening. And remember here, we're talking about a population of well over a million people. So a good-sized city of a population that's here, meaning this is a never-ending process for, for Moses and the people of Israel. And when Jethro sees what Moses is doing, he's like, what in the world are you doing? Like, why are you doing it this way? To which Moses responds, like, we're all prone to respond in that moment by trying to justify his actions. Look at verse 15. He says, because the people come to me in a choir of God. He's like, I'm, I'm teaching them God's will. I'm teaching them what it means to, to follow after God, to o obey God. What's wrong with what I'm doing? Kind of perplexed even in this moment. And no, no, no doubt that this work that he's doing is important. No doubt that it's needed. And Jethro is in no way here implying that it's not. See, the heart behind what Moses is doing is good. What he's trying to accomplish is absolutely necessary. He's teaching God's word and discerning God's will before God's people. Absolutely necessary. The problem is he's the only one doing it. That's the problem. That's what Jethro points out in verse 17 when he very clearly states what you're doing is not good. And then very clearly in verse 18 tells him you and the people with you certainly wear, you will certainly wear yourselves out for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Jethro is saying, what you're doing is not good for you, Moses. It's not good for you, and it's not good for the people that you are leading. 
It's wearing everybody out, not just you, but everybody out. And remember, this is a people who are prone to grumble, right? We've seen this along the way in their journey, how, they, how they've grumbled and they've complained along the way. So it's probably not wise to, to leave them out all day with unsettled disputes and questions that need to be resolved day after day after day. It's only going to magnify and build the, the situation. So what does Jethro do? Verse 19. He tells Moses, now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God be with you. And what's the advice? Then Moses continued to represent the people before God. He's saying, keep doing what you're doing, Moses. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. Don't do it alone. Just don't do it alone. Verse 21, look for able men from all the people. Look for men who will come alongside in providing counsel and settling disputes and discerning the will of God before the people. And every matter that they that shall bring to you um, that is great, bring to you. If it's a smaller matter, then they can handle it themselves. Jethro is telling Moses, you don't have to be the one who handles every situation. Let other able men do it. Why? He tells him, so it will be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you. But now notice he doesn't just tell Moses to choose some men. He doesn't just say, hey, go out among Israel and say, hey, do we have any volunteers today? Was anybody willing to come alongside Moses and help him out and, and make these decisions and help with the disputes? He doesn't do that, does he? He doesn't just go out and do a draft either and say, okay, you, 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 come on, you're going to be a part of this. No, he says, look for able men. Now, what's he mean by able men? He says, qualified men. You are to look for qualified men and then list out the qualifications starting in verse 21. Look for men who fear God. That's first and foremost. They have to be men who fear God. Proverbs 9, 10 telling us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, why is this so important? Why is it so important to have that these men fear God first and foremost? Because they're going to be called to give counsel. They're going to be called to give instruction and wisdom that those who are receiving it, let's just be honest, they might not want to receive. There's times that all of us have to receive counsel and instruction that we might not want to receive. But what could these men be tempted to do in that situation? They could be tempted to tickle the ears of those who are listening. They could be tempted to, to tell those who are coming before them just what they want to hear. And he said, you can't do that. You've got to be able to tell them the truth. You've got to be able to tell them to help discern God's will. In order to do that, you have to fear God over man. So the question is, who do you fear? Who do these men fear? God first or man first? Qualified men have to, have to fear God over man. Now, the second qualification he lists is that these men have to be those who are trustworthy and they hate a bribe. So men who aren't going to be bought off, they have to be godly men, honest men, ethical men, who are who, they're not out for themselves. They're looking for the good of the people. They're looking to follow the Lord. And then Jethro says in verse 23, if you do this, if you do everything that I'm telling you to do, if you do this, then he lists three things that's going to come as a result. If you do this one, God will direct you. He's going to direct you to the qualified leaders. If you look for qualified leaders, 
and he's going to direct you as leaders, as these qualified men, as you govern and lead and direct and give counsel to the people. Two, he, he will, if you do this, you will be able to endure. In other words, if you do this, Moses, you're not going to get burnt out. Along with that, three, all the people also will go to their place in peace. Meaning the people won't get burnt out either. Meaning this advice isn't just given to Moses so Moses will endure. It's given for the people to walk in peace so they will endure so that they can go on this journey to the promised land and that it will be a peaceful journey along the way. And so how does Moses respond to Jethro's advice? He listens to it. But he doesn't just listen to it, he obeys it. Now get this. The Lord is using a day-old new believer to teach Moses how to lead his people. And what I love about this is the humility that Moses has to receive the godly wisdom from his father-in-law. See, what Moses doesn't say is like, hold up, former pagan priest. Hold up, father-in-law. Hold up, day-old believer. I'm Moses. I just led the people out of Egypt. He doesn't say that at all. What does he do? He listens, humbly listens to the advice of Jethro and he applies it. And there's a very helpful piece of application for us all there, especially those of us who have been walking with the Lord for, for many a number of years. The reminder, we still have a lot to learn. No matter how long we have been walking with the Lord, we all have much to learn. Every one of us. And the Lord may be using those who are less mature, newer in the faith, to teach us a lot of things, that important things about what it means to follow the Lord. See, a healthy church is going to be a constant mixture of those who are, who are mature in their faith and new in their faith. A healthy church is always going to have a balance of both. And none of us have a point where we've arrived and we've got it all figured out. All of us are on this journey together, learning from one another and teaching one another and helping one another grow. But now as we look to apply this text further, because it's always what we want to do, like how does this text apply to us today? Let's first remember the point of the passage, which is what? It's the importance of shared ministry responsibility. But then we, we need to look at what comes after chapter 19 if we want to know that. If we want to know the application, we need to know what comes after chapter 18. Because whenever we're studying a text, we always want to be looking at what comes before and after the text, along with the, the overall understanding of the book. So we want to know what, what is all of Exodus kind of pointing to, and then what is coming before and after what we're just reading. Right? We don't want to look at a passage just in isolation. So here, we're, we're never studying just like this one thing. We're looking at what comes ahead. So we look at chapter 18. What comes after chapter 18? Chapter 19, right? But then what is chapter 19 telling us? That the people are arriving at Mount Sinai. They're about to receive the law. In chapter 20, they're going to get the Ten Commandments. The law is coming to them. So what is the Lord doing through Jethro? Well, let's see. The Lord, what the Lord is doing through Jethro, this new believer, is he's ordering the nation of Israel. He's structuring the nation of Israel in such a way that they can receive the law of God continually. 
He's structuring them in such a way as a people that there can be qualified men in place to counsel and to teach and to help the people understand and discern the will of God. To help them order their lives and live by God's word. And this responsibility isn't to fall on only one person. It's not to fall only upon Moses. Thus the reason, verse 25. Moses chose able men out of all Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. The Lord wanting all his people to be known and cared for and taught. So just a general application here being, The larger a church gets, the smaller it has to become. There's no way everyone in Israel knew everyone in Israel. And there's no way that that Moses knew every single person in, in Israel. But it was important that someone did. It was important that someone did. Same within the church. God doesn't want anyone. He doesn't want you or anyone else to simply be another face in the crowd doesn't want you to be another face in the crowd. He wants you known and cared for, and he wants you caring for and knowing others. If you're not here one particular week, maybe multiple particular weeks, we want someone knowing that you're not here. We want someone to know and say, hey, so-and-so hasn't been here. Where are they? And not out of a sense that we just want more people in the seats, but because we genuinely care about what's going on in your life. What's going on? So whether that's a small group, or somebody that you typically sit next to on a weekend, a week out basis, but specifically we want the pastors, the elders to, to know as we, we care for and pray for and shepherd, like who's missing? Where are, where are they? What's going on in their life? Which is why a plurality of leadership is so important. Which brings us from general application to specific application here. And it's not only by doing, uh, it's not by doing a one-to-one comparison here. To find this application, we can't just go and be like, okay, let's do a one-to-one comparison. And here's why we can't do that. Because there's a crucial difference between then and now. We can't just do a one-to-one comparison and say, oh, we're going to compare Moses to this and these leaders to this. And There's some general application we can do that, but for specific application, we have to take it a step further. Why? Because we no longer have a prophet like Moses, do we? We do not have a prophet like Moses, but here's the thing. We don't need one. We don't need a prophet like Moses. Why? Because we have Jesus. We don't need a prophet like Moses because we have Jesus who lived a sinless life, died a sacrificial death, rose from the dead to redeem everyone who believes. See, Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our prophet. And what I mean by that is he's the one who reveals God's will to us because that's what a prophet would do, right? They would hear from God and they would reveal God's will to the people. Jesus is our prophet. Do you remember Peter, James, and John when they went up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and they go up and who do they see up there? Moses and Elijah, right? And God, the Father, speaking to them from the cloud and in this moment of like just incredible experience. But what what does God the Father say? This is my beloved son. 
listen to him. You got Moses standing there, Elijah standing there, like the greatest prophets in all of the Bible, and he's saying, don't listen to them. Listen to Jesus. It's Jesus superseding Moses in authority. But then we've got to ask the question, how is it that we are to listen to Jesus? It's obvious how the people were to listen to Moses, right? He stood before them and talked. It's even obvious how the people were to listen to Jesus when, when Jesus was walking the earth, right before them speaking. But how do we listen to Jesus now? How? If he is our prophet, which he is, how do we listen to him now? By his spirit speaking to us through the scriptures. Meaning Jesus is the head of the church and he exercises his authority over the church by his spirit speaking through the Bible, which is God's word to us. Which is why it's so important for us to be able to, to go to the word of God. So important for us to, to be a people of the word. It's why constantly, every week, I'm encouraging the very start of every message, if, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them too. Wherever we're at, I want you to see that this is God's word to us. I want you to, to, to see what is in the text for yourself. Like, turn with me there. I want you to see this not stuff that I'm making up or putting my own opinion on. This is God's word to us. Because it's through the church where Jesus exercises his authority through the word of God. And as such, he's designed for his church to be structured in a very specific way, starting with a plurality of qualified leaders that the Bible calls elders. Pastor, also synonymous with the word elder, whose primary task is to teach the Bible. Primary task of an elder is to teach the Bible. And if a man cannot teach the Bible, He's not qualified to be an elder. See, an elder group of men is not just a decision-making board. The primary responsibility of elders is to teach the Bible, to discern God's will before the people through the preaching and teaching of the word. But this teaching isn't just to fill our heads with more knowledge. We're not, gonna, not supposed to walk away from a Sunday morning or from a Bible study and be able to like go into Bible jeopardy and win. That, that's not the aim of what we're trying to do here. But to teach us how to live our lives according with God's word. That is where the similarity comes back to what we see with happening with Israelites. And what our text today shows us is that this is too much for any one man. Even within a church our size, if we try to do like, all the responsibility that we see happening within the church on one person, we'd have the same problems that we see with Moses. There's simply too much. Ministry never ends, which is why three things today. One, solo leadership isn't good. And not only is it, is it not good, it's not biblical, the Lord never intended one pastor to handle all the ministry needs of the church. Turn with me, if you would, to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, where Paul is writing to the church in Rome and explaining how every Christian has been given different gifts to build up the body. So Romans chapter 12, verse 4. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. 
different gifts that need to be used. So all the church, every believer is gifted with specific gifts, different gifts to build up and strengthen and minister to the larger body of believers. Meaning there are no insignificant members of the body. None. There's no one, there's no one saying, hey, you know what? The left arm is important. The right arm is not. The left leg is important. The right leg is not. There's, we need both, Right? Now, there may be a stronger preference in your hand, like one, one side is stronger than the other, but we need them both. Try opening a jar with no thumbs, right? Like, go home, you'll be there this afternoon, just kind of like doing that number. Like, you need your thumb. You don't understand how, how significant something is until you don't have it. So when we do have families that we love dearly leave, it, it, it's a loss, but at the same time, the Lord is bringing in other families to, to fill those needs. God is sovereign. He is in control. It isn't caught him off guard that the brats are, are leaving. It is also not by, by mistake that new families are coming into the church at the exact same time. The Lord is in control of this. A healthy church practices shared ministry. Every member playing a key part in the ministry of the church. But this shared ministry structure starts with a qualified plurality of elders. A plurality of elders who are chosen by the congregation to shepherd the congregation as under-shepherds of Jesus. And here's what I mean by under-shepherds of Jesus. Jesus is the head of the church. He is the chief shepherd. His word is our authority. And we who are elders are to lead the church into counsel only by and under the authority of God's word. Our personal opinions only matter when they align with the word of God. You're not gathering here week after week, or at least I hope you're not gathering here week after week to, to hear my personal opinions or, 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 or my thoughts on this or that. We're, we're gathering to sit under the authority of the word of God. But let's be clear. The elders aren't to do everything within the church. It doesn't matter how many elders a, a church has. They, they aren't to do everything. They can't. What they are to do is oversee the ministry of the church to ensure that everything is falling under the authority of God's word. And in doing so, they are to equip the people to do the work of ministry, teaching and training from God's word what it means and what it looks like to, to follow the Lord. So number two, we are to look for qualified men to serve as elders. And I'll add, we're to raise up qualified men to serve as elders. Because someone doesn't come to faith in Christ automatically equipped and qualified to serve as, as an elder any more than a baby comes out of the womb eating steak and reading books, right? It, does, it doesn't happen that way. There's a process of training and equipping, and it's called discipleship. Being taught how to follow the Lord. It's the Great Commission baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe, to obey everything that I have commanded you. There's a process of teaching and equipping that lasts the length of somebody's life in, in Christ. And this discipleship happens within the confines of the local church. 
Seminaries are great. I'm thankful for my time in seminary, but seminaries don't make pastors. Seminaries don't make disciples. Healthy churches do. So the Lord gives us the qualifications for the office of, of elder in, in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, which means we don't have the freedom then to just go and pick somebody that we think would, hey, I think this person would be a good idea. Now we have to look and say, do they meet the qualifications set forth in Scripture? Ah, but they've been a member of the church for a long time. Do they meet the qualifications set forth in Scripture? Ah, they give a lot of money to the church. Do they meet the qualifications set forth in Scripture? Ah, pastor, he's a really good guy. Does he meet the qualifications set forth in Scripture? And honestly, these qualifications are qualifications that every Christian should be desiring to meet. They're not some super high spiritual standard. They're ones that all of us should be looking to, to look to be able to do. And if you'd like to know more about like, our understanding of these qualifications, more than happy to sit down and talk with you, but also would direct you to our website, direct you to our, our series through 1 Timothy. We preach through these qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We direct you there to be able to, to listen uh, for more information. But even in the office of deacon, which is a totally different office than the one of elder, it's an office discussed in that series as well in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's also an office that requires qualifications. But turn with me to Acts chapter 6 for a moment. Acts chapter 6, I believe this is, was the, the, the originating point of the office of, of, of deacon. This is when the church was rapidly growing and increasing in number. And what was happening when the church was rapidly growing and increasing in number? The widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So the 12 apostles summoned the full number of disciples. This would be the, the, the whole body of believers, the church. So the 12 apostles summoned the rest of the followers of Christ together. And they said in verse 2, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, who we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So we see here, similar to what we see with the Israelites, the early church was having a backlog of, of ministry needs that were not being met. So what did, they, what did they do? They found qualified individuals to share the responsibility of ministry. And this was vitally important for the health of the church, to be able to share the ministry needs of the church. But let's be clear, ministry within the church isn't isolated to those holding an office. We read through the rest of Acts, we see how they're sharing and ministering and caring for one another all over the place as the church. Again, it's the entire church sharing the work of ministry. So number three, the church is to bear the burden of ministry together. Why? One, so it will be easier. It doesn't rest upon one person or even one group of people, but all of us working and serving together. Two, so we will be able to endure. Try to do too much on our own, and what's going to happen? We're going to burn out. That's not just application for the church, that's application for your home life as well. You try to do too much, and you will burn yourself out. Three, so we will go to our place in peace. So to close out, I just want to give us some 
simple, practical ways that we can be bearing this burden together with one another. And to start, I, I want to thank those who are already doing this. I want to thank you, and so many of you, as I look out around here, who are like just making all the curtains and the stage and the chairs and the children's stuff. Just thank you for the practical things that happen just to make Sunday morning happen. Huge help with the body coming together. And to our children's workers who are back there, if you can hear me, like thank you for, for what you are, are doing right now. For those of you who will be serving next week, thank you. But what about beyond Sunday morning? What about like when we leave these doors and everything's torn down and set up and like our everyday day-to-day? How, how can we be being that ministry, ministering to one another in the everyday day-to-day? Well, here's some practical ways that we've kind of I've written down. I kind of sought some from outside sources, but these, this is by no means an exhaustive list. But one, very simple, make a point to pray for your fellow church members. Making a point of being intentional to pray for your fellow church members. Ask specifically, how can I be praying for you? And then do it. Don't just do like, oh, I'm praying for you. And then like, did they really? Like, pray for them. It may be appropriate to pray for them right there in that moment. It might not be. But be intentional and pray. And then follow up with them later and say, hey, how are you doing? It shows that you listen. It shows that you care. Pray for, your, pray for your elders. I'm not going to be ashamed to ask. Pray for your elders. Pray for that we will endure. Pray that we will lead with, with wisdom. Pray that we will not succumb to the temptations of this world, that we will walk faithfully to the end. Pray for the Lord to raise up additional elders to, to serve and to lead this body. Next, step out of your, your comfort zone. Step out of your circle and, and meet someone new. I know that can be hard. It's, See a new face, say hello. It's not hard for Derek, but for a lot of others, it's hard. There's a natural tendency of like, I'm going to hide over here. Uh, I don't recognize this face, but maybe they have been here or maybe they haven't. And if you're new, you're kind of even more hesitant to say something to somebody because you don't know who's new and who's not. If you don't know somebody, just say hello. I'll be honest. Like, again, like, because we have no, how many of you have, you have been coming to Harvest Point less than three years? Raise your hand. How many of you have been coming less than two years? Like just, we can, there's so many people who are, are new faces. Don't be worried about just seeing somebody new. Like just go up and say, hey, I don't know you. <laughs> and go from there. Say hello. Invite them, invite them out to coffee. Invite them to lunch. Be intentional about getting to know one another. It doesn't take an event. It doesn't take a program. It just takes initiative. Or maybe make it a point to, to, to read the Bible with a couple other people. Maybe take you out of your comfort zone just a little bit more, but a couple of you say, you know what, we're going to commit to read like this section of the Bible or this book of the Bible or the whole Bible, and we're going to get together ever so often, and we're going to talk about it together. Just the two or three of you, however that, that's going to look. Maybe it's over the phone of just connecting and talking um, however that looks. Make it a point to read good books together. We've got a bookstore out there of all, all books that we think are, can help you and benefit you in ways to, to help you grow um, in your faith. And grab that and read it along with a couple other people and, and then minister to one another. Maybe you found a book from there particularly helpful and you're able to get together and encourage one another through that. And you have questions like, I don't know about this. Well, write it down. Write that question down and then work through that together. H- have another family over for, for dinner. 
And have them over for dinner simply to get to know them better. Not like a bait and switch. Not like, hey, we're having you over for, for dinner tonight and all right, now clear the table. We're bringing out our Bibles and here's our, our hour-long Bibles. No! <laughs> like just get to, to know people over dinner. And it's been a huge blessing to us. And a huge blessing to many of you, like just sitting around the dinner table. Again, no bait and switch, just intentional about getting to know different people in the church. Or offer free childcare or babysitting for date nights. There's a lot of people within our church who, who don't have family right here. How many of you here today, like you're, you're not from here and don't have immediate family outside of this area? How many? All right. A lot of these hands have young children, right? And meaning that they're, it, it's hard for mom and dad to have a date night. A, a way that you can be able to minister in a big way is by offering for, for child care um, in those times. Send an encouraging text or, or a note or a phone call. Think about how you feel when you get one of those texts or that note at like just that right time. And like that person may not even, not even know a thing that's going on in your life. But all of a sudden that text just pops in and it drops and you're like, thank you, I needed that. Be that person to someone else. It doesn't take but an instant to, to send a text or to, to make a phone call even. And I know we've gotten scared about that. Like we'll text and we'll email, we'll hide behind the screen. But like pick up the phone call and say, hey, even, hey, let's, let's get together and talk. Any of those, don't overthink it. Just be an encourager. We could also be just taking someone dinner because... And maybe because they need it. We, we have individuals and even ones that you'll hear about coming up that, that they, they need a meal because maybe it's a physical need or things are going on at home. But maybe it's just, you know what? I want to be kind to somebody. I'm going to give them a meal. We've had people like bless us. Like we're going through the drive-thru at, at Chick-fil-A and we get up to the cash register. And maybe it's like one of you all has seen us going through the drive-thru. And then like we get up there and say, yeah, it's already been covered. And like, Really? Like, be that blessing to, to someone else. Like, such ways to, to encourage or listen. Like, just meet with somebody and listen. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to have all the answers. Just listen. Volunteer to minister wherever, wherever help is needed. It could be the things that are going on on a Sunday morning, but outside of that, you see a need, meet a need. Basically, love others the way you want to be loved. Some of you have like really awesome skill sets outside of like Sunday morning, whether it's from AC units to, to plumbing to electrical to medical to you name it. Using those gifts to, to benefit the body goes a long way in, in ministering in ways that you can't even begin to understand. You need help buying a car? I'll help you buy a car, right? That, that's my tent making skill outside of here. We'll wrap this up by, by saying, allow yourself to be ministered to. That's huge. Allow yourself to be ministered to. Don't be so prideful to think that you don't need to be ministered to. Also, don't be like Moses and try to do it all yourself. But lastly, remember you're not Jesus. Remember you're not Jesus. You will get tired. You won't meet everyone's expectations. You'll try, but you won't. There will never be enough time in the day. You will sin against brothers and sisters in Christ. 
we as elders will sin against you. And none of us, because we're wanting to, but because we're not Jesus. We're not Jesus. But remember, Jesus never gets tired. Jesus never gets tired. There's no burden too great to place before him. He's already won the victory. So listen to him when he says, come to me, you who are weary. I will give you rest. Rest in Jesus, the chief shepherd of the church. Lord, as we reflect upon your word this morning, the clear and glaring application, we're not Jesus, and we were never intended to be. So forgive us for when we try to do too much. When we think if we don't do one more thing, it's all going to fall apart or not succeed. Lord, help us to realize with even greater clarity and dependence today that we need Jesus more than anything or anyone else. And as Christians, he, he is who we are placing our hope in. Friends will fail us, family will fail us, church leaders will fail us, but Jesus never will. So let our hope rest in him alone today. This is our prayer. Amen.